Hey everyone, welcome back to Teenager Therapy. I'm Gael. I'm Kayla. I'm Thomas. I'm Isaac. I'm Mark. And welcome back to another episode. And this time, hi, hi. <laughs> this time is, is is quite a quite an interesting one. Um, because there's a lot going on in the world. So we're in Pride Month at the time of recording this. But I know once we post it, it's not going to be Pride Month anymore. Um, and that kind of relates because there's been a lot of activism recently on social media. I feel like the past, like, ever since, like, the beginning of 2020, activism has gotten very, I don't know what the word is. I guess maybe more visible, I think. So activism has gotten a lot more visible and at the forefront of this wave of activism is our generation. Gen Z, you could yeah. say. Um, and I feel like there's a trend to that because, I don't know, I feel like it's it's sort of good and bad, right? Like you see, you go on TikTok and you see a lot of Gen Z like, hey, you have to organize, you have to go to a protest, you have to post this on social media. Um, and it seems like Gen Z is doing a lot of the social media activism and like the adults that are actually in charge and capable of making change aren't really doing much. It makes sense because Gen Z, they grew up with phones and technology Mm -hmm. and with social media. So it makes sense, of course, the reason why they are more, I guess, prominent in the social media scheme. Yeah, just more civically literate because True. of we're smarter <laughs> because of our access like to social media and stuff. Yeah. Like you go on Twitter and you can find out everything that is going on in the world, and because of that, I think we just are able to like understand what is happening and actually like take action on it. Yeah, I think the fact that we were raised with social media plays a big role in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we grew up with phones. At least we didn't grow up as iPad kids. <laughs> oh my god! So we grew up in a generation that's going to be smart because we grew up, you know, reading and stuff. I don't know. I'm kind of worried for our next generation. That's a little off topic, but I wonder if they'll No, be literally, I think about it all the time. Like, I have two baby cousins that you guys might hear every now and then in the background, but they are always on their iPads. And it makes me worried for them because they have short attention spans. Mm, yeah. And I'm scared that, like, they won't be able to, like, function normally without their ipads and like <laughs> you know like yeah. I don't know. it is scary it is scary i i just see as people are becoming like more desensitized desensitized yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah. desensitized desensitized mm-hmm. yeah. um to like you know what we're seeing on the news and everything it's becoming more normal and so when we see it again and again it doesn't have the same effect as when you first saw it you know mm-hmm. and that's um, what sucks because like you know because still- it should have the same weight but mm-hmm. sometimes it feels like, oh, it's happening again, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when you see it happening again and again, then you start to feel more, like, hopeless. Yeah, and it's the teens me. that are, like, experiencing this. Yeah, exactly. But not, I mean, yeah. I know, you're saying. I'm just going to say not only are they experiencing it, but they're expected to, like, act. Yeah. Exactly. Because, I, I mean, sometimes it seems like nobody else is doing anything. Like, the government isn't really going to do anything, so... It's just like, well, somebody has to step up. Mm-hmm. And exactly. Do that. And what's like funny too, like as teens, we don't really have a say. You can't vote. You can't yeah. vote. That's true. Until you're mm-hmm. 18. I know. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a lot, of, a lot of pressure, right, Isaac? Yeah. Like, if you think about it, a lot of um, pressure is put on Gen Z because they're saying that we need to be like government officials when we grow up <laughs> and we have to change everything. So, like, imagine when like the first Gen Z. 
or right now we're all like teens goes into the government mm. how will we change it like they say that everyone wants to bring down capitalism and stuff like that it's just i wonder how it's gonna play out yeah like all these issues that we like it seems like i mean social media makes it seem like we're very progressive but also there tends to be a pattern of a lot of progressive people very being very like outspoken about the issues they care mm-hmm. about but when it comes to local office and stuff like younger generations simply just don't go out and vote yeah because it's a lot easier to talk than to act and that's mm-hmm. why like also for a lot of older people who are in these positions they actually have to act upon it and sometimes just talking about it is like overshadows it too. yeah and not only that but i feel like there's also a lot of society's failure to kind of handle the problems that affect teens which is why a lot of teenagers feel the need to speak out about it because even though we we can't really do much i mean when it comes to like gun control like mm-hmm. all these things there's only so much we can do because we can't vote like a majority of our generation can't <clears throat> vote yeah and so when it comes to things like gun control the most we can do is talk about it and spread awareness on social media like the biggest like gun control movement i think it was march for our lives right like mm-hmm. that was led by a teenager um like the climate movement right the climate change and you know a lot of activism for that is also led by younger people um which places a lot of pressure on us to be able to make change even though we legally can't vote like we're not in positions of power um and so i think the older generations should have a lot more of a of a i don't know they should be a lot more involved in this instead of kind of shifting the blame to us and saying that like our generation needs to fix this because that doesn't really seem likely right now maybe in Mm -hmm. 10 years but right now i think it's just trying to shift the blame to the next generation so Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on the people that are actually in power but yeah um going back to what you're saying about how um like our generation feels pressured to become like big activists and everything Mm -hmm. um it's it's like, especially during the Black Lives Matter protests and mm-hmm. everything that was going on during that time, um, everybody was posting. And if somebody wasn't posting, they would, like, get shit on. I remember, like, if you were to post, like, your birthday, like, photo during that time, then, they, they like, nobody would have, like, just looked past it, you know? Like, it would have been something that was seen as like selfish or like inconsiderate like read the room right now like Mm -hmm. this is not the best time for you to post this or something and i think because of that i like a lot of us just feel pressured to repost everything that we see that is like going wrong even if we don't completely understand it only because we are expected to by other people Mm -hmm. yeah and i've noticed that a lot too like with teenage influencers like you know like charlie or addison or whoever they'll be expected to repost you know like um just about conflicts that are going on or you know something big that's happening even though they might not be fully educated on the topic or aware and it's better to just not post anything than to post misinformation but then Mm -hmm. there's also people that say well they should make the effort to you know learn about what's going on and everything and so it's kind of hard because there's like two opposite sides saying like no they're that's not their place to be posting about that stuff if you really want to you know find that information then go to somebody's page that's actually well versed on it and will give you you know credible information and then there's the other side that's like, that's like oh well they should make the effort and they should post about it too so it's kind of hard because 
at the end of the day, they are teenagers. Like, they are 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And that's literally a child. Like, we're still children, you know, in a sense. So it's kind of hard because we're teenagers yeah. and we're expected to be doing so much work. And then there's always that constant fear of doing the wrong thing, you know, making that mistake, posting the misinformation. And I can see why so many people in our generation are scared to post, scared to share. Yeah. (laughs) If anything, it's more important to like educate yourself than have the first impulse to just post something. Because most people just post and it's because of that pressure. If anything, you should feel pressure to like educate yourself more. Because mm-hmm. imagine if all these educated people go towards the future. That's what's going to bring change. Not people who like post all these things but don't know anything at all. That's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think education is a big part of it. Um, but when, I guess when it comes to big influencers, I think if you have like millions of followers you should at least try to repost some smaller creators Mm -hmm. that are like posting good stuff. Like you don't have to be an activist yourself, but supporting all the people that are doing the work, um, a lot of grassroots organizations, like that's a really good thing. And I think that's something we should encourage. Um, And if they don't do it, I don't think we should necessarily hate them for it, but just instead encourage people to try to do it. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's kind of a little bit just about activism in general and teens needing and having a lot of pressure to care and do the work about issues that affect us instead of believing that our leaders and our politicians that are in charge will do that because i feel like we lost a lot of hope in them um there just doesn't seem to be change that's happening fast enough and i wonder if maybe when our generation steps in if it'll be the same thing i mean it probably will because i feel like every generation expects to make a lot of change and it just doesn't happen um but we could hope for the best I guess. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's going to be the same mm-hmm. as much as people want to be like, oh, no, our generation mm-hmm. is truly different. Like, there <laughs> will be change. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same, just with more disappointment because everybody is hyping our future politicians up. But at the end of the day, they're politicians, so... <laughs> you can't glorify them <laughs> yeah, either. That's There's true. only so much. And, like, these future politicians, they're going to be chosen by, like, the same people that chose these other bad politicians. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like... Same thing it's over and over. Cycle. A lot of politicians will probably begin as influencers from now on. <laughs> I so. mean, I probably. I still feel like some optimism for like our future and our generation because um, we have social media on our side, and I know that yeah. that's like kind of weird to say, but so many of us are knowledgeable about what is really going on in the world compared to like millennials and Mm -hmm. um other generations i just feel like we are really 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 civically literate and Mm -hmm. responsible um and i'm not saying that like change will happen but i i'm pretty hopeful that it will be like i don't know i'm we have like access to information that no other generation has really had before. So I think change is a lot more probable. And I don't think we can really eliminate issues. I think it's a little dumb to expect like a generation to completely resolve um, pressing issues like racism and discrimination. But I think it will greatly help. I think we will make a really big difference. Yeah, I agree with you. And like, it all, social media brings um, 
it allows a lot of information to be spread, but also allows us to hold each other accountable. It makes it a lot harder to hide things from the people, which is re- the reason why I believe mm. there could be better politicians in the future. I think so. I think each generation gets progress done. Um, because if you think about even 10, 15, 20 years from now, like there's still been a lot of change, a lot of significant change yeah. that has gotten done. So there's definitely optimism that it will get done. It's just, will we have that radical, you know, <laughs> revolution that we dream of? Uh, where we get paid a ton and there's like only a four day week work week and stuff like that um, we'll see and hopefully but yeah social media is a big component of it and we're going to be a generation that is has access to information really easy, easily and you know like the 2016 election proved that social media is going to play a big role in politics not just for the better but also for the worse because there, there's a lot of misinformation that could happen uh, and misinformation is definitely something to talk about like for example this for us we always stress that like we're not experts and we're simply just talking about our experiences and the thoughts we have on it. Um, and so when we never, whenever we do episodes like this, we do try to make sure to talk to people that are experts. And that's why like in the next segment, we want to focus on the issue, which, which is like the environment. Um, and it's something that you guys have asked us to talk about. And I think the reason we avoid is- uh, issues like those and topics like those is that we're not experts. So we could only really give our personal thoughts on it and, we don't have statistics or truly understand the magnitude of the of the problem. Um, so in this next segment, we're going to be doing kind of like a deep dive. Uh, Mark and I are going to be doing a deep dive into env- into the environment, um, pollution, and like why a lot of companies are polluting the environment and then actually polluting it even more, but then pretending they're not. Like, and there's also kind of like a really great onion piece about this that I read uh, that talks about how like a lot of big tobacco companies are launching these huge campaigns and spending money on like how we're helping the environment and how we're like cleaning up after um, people when it's actually them that are like really polluting it. So it just goes to show that a lot of these companies that like launch huge campaigns about like the work they're doing for the environment is just like lies because they're the ones causing the problem, but it's just a big PR stunt. Um, But anyways, yeah, we're going to be diving into the environment, pollution, what companies are doing and what can we do about it even as teenagers who can't vote, you know, what are the things we can do about it? So hopefully you enjoy it. We're going to talk to some experts about this issue because obviously we're not that. And uh, yeah, here they are. All right. So now we're going to be welcoming Lauren. Uh, Lauren Fury is an environmentalist and video content creator from LA. She curates her social channels to be a place of education and inspiration, inviting folks to take action and implement sustainable solutions in their lives. We're also going to be hearing from Basma Rahman, and uh, Basma is a research associate at Truth, the brand that gives us the facts and tools to fight the forces of addiction while exposing big tobacco and big vapes lies and manipulation. Uh, Basma is responsible for research studies around tobacco use, and she's part of the team that makes sure everything Truth says is rooted in, uh, you guessed it, Truth. Um, so, uh, like your bachelor's in behavioral psychology, right? Mm-hmm. And then what about your master's? I studied international health, uh, public health uh, master's degree, but obviously tobacco is a very different area. Um, just kind of found myself here after many different stops along the way in different research fields, but it's a skill set that we can use almost anywhere. Yeah, it's really interesting that like it wasn't necessarily what you studied, but like you kind of found yourself in this field, um, which kind of yeah. leads me to what I want to talk about with you, Lauren, is that um, you consider yourself like an environmental activist. How did you, you know, 
led you here? My mom is, sorry to take you way back to the beginning, but my mom is a first generation American and her parents are from Argentina. And I share that because in early 2020, I actually got to hang with my family in Argentina and pre-COVID and I was looking around, I'm like, oh, everyone lives so sustainably here. It just looks very different in the US. So just being very connected to their community and being very connected to where their food comes from and like sharing everything and reusing everything. And I think that's true for a lot of South American cultures or South American countries. Anyways, so we were raised with a lot of those principles in the home and my grandparents lived with us for a long time. Anyway, so I think it's just like now coming of age story of like, oh, I was always destined to be here. I just didn't, we, I didn't know that that's what I would ultimately pursue. It just all feels very natural. My mom's a massive environmentalist and is like my climate idol. Um, but honestly, as with a lot of folks, it was the presidential election of 2016 when something I didn't know I cared about until it was under extreme threat. And I feel like that's what, how a lot of folks felt is we didn't know how much we cared about something until it was under extreme attack. And for me, that was offshore oil drilling. And so I literally Googled like how to stop offshore oil drilling in California or in Los Angeles and found the Surfrider Foundation, joined an environmental NGO, started taking sustainability classes at UCLA, and was just like attracted to it and couldn't get enough of it. And so, yeah, now it's what I do full time. Yeah, that's really interesting that it was sort of a, it's just something you were passionate about is, you know, you saw an issue and you were, it really spoke to you and you got, you got, you know, fired up about it and you decided to take it into your own hands and start just doing your own research and stuff. And I think that's something that a lot of teenagers struggle with when it comes to activism is how do I even become qualified? Am I qualified? Do I, um, is there something I need to do before I'm able to do this work? And for you, in your case, it, it's good to hear that you really just Googled it, right? Like you Googled, <laughs> how do I do this? And you found an answer to it. And that's what we're, you know, that's how you got started. Um, do you think that a lot of teens like feel like they don't have a voice when it comes to issues, both environmentalism and others. Well, what you said earlier about not feeling qualified, there's two things that come to mind with that. Cause I think it's a trap we all fall into. It's like, who am I to share? Who am I to share perspective on this? If I'm not educated in it, if I'm not an expert in this, right. Even now I've only really been in this work for like four years. And I even feel like a phony sometimes when people call me an expert and I'm like, no, own that. Yeah. That's really interesting. Especially when it comes to being qualified. Cause I know like Mark, yeah. we've talked about like not feeling qualified before yeah. on the podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Have you ever felt like that? Cause we talk more just about mental health and even that makes us feel like you're not qualified. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I remember uh, like past episodes, I would talk about being scared to post stuff online just because I mm-hmm. thought I enough but it didn't it took um one of the other hosts in our podcast to kind of enlighten me and tell me that i do have a strong voice mm-hmm. and then one voice like matters mm-hmm. yeah i like that you say that one voice matters because and lauren i really like what you said about like if you have a story you're qualified and i think that is definitely true but when it comes to environmentalism who do you think is the enemy when it, it comes to pollution and all of this mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of like a two-part question because what you talked about when we think we're small and we're not qualified, you know who profits off of that? Like the big polluters, the oil and gas companies, the Chevrons and Mobile and Shell, like they want us to think that we're unqualified, we're too small, like one person can't make a difference. 
there are a lot of noteworthy and very valuable statistics within climate literature. But the one that I always think of is 100 companies are responsible for 71% of global emissions. Mm -hmm. And so you say, who's the enemy? You're like, okay, individuals make up 29% of that, of this mix. So who is the enemy who is to be held responsible or accountable? It's the 100 companies responsible for nearly three quarters of greenhouse gas emissions. So mm. there's three elements in solving these solutions. It's government, corporations, and individuals, and we all play a part. And government needs to hold business accountable. And we get to do that too, right? When we vote with our dollar. Yeah, holding businesses accountable, I think is a, a huge part of it. And um, because when it comes to the environment, I think there's a lot of, I don't know, it's almost hypocritical sometimes because a lot of people, you know, choose to use, uh, a lot of it is sort of, what's the word for it? Um, performative, performative action. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the climate, people care about it, but in the wrong way. They're like, oh, I, no straws, none of that. Like, you know, do this, don't do that. But it's like, well, if you're if you don't want to use straws, like when that's like not even really the root of the issue, it's like such a minor part of it. Like, why not instead focus on um, the companies and the bigger issues that are causing all of this instead of getting mad at someone for using a straw? Um, like, you know, you go to the streets and you'll see a bunch of things being littered. Like, you see cigarette butts everywhere. Um, yeah. I, I know that's like one of the most common, um, I think, littered items, right, Basma? Yep, number one. Yeah, so I mean, it seems like then big tobacco is like a pretty big component of like the companies that are really damaging the environment, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're responsible for uh, clear cutting 600 million trees every year just to produce their products. And only a fraction of that is actually used to make the product. Um, and as you know, like cutting down trees and, and destroying the source of oxygen and, and the destroying the, the ecosystem all helps contribute to overall uh, pollution in the air and, and, and the reduction of quality ecosystems for animals and people alike with the with the waste that's produced with producing any type of tobacco product um, makes big tobacco one of the, the bad actors and definitely one of the culprits in that hundred companies um, that, that help contribute to, to destroying the, the ecosystem as it is. Yeah I and mean, what about like all the vapes and the jewels that are out there yeah those seem a lot more resistant so do those decompose or are those recycled what happens to those so that's a great question so you know unlike cigarettes it's not only like the tobacco waste itself that comes in like the e-liquids and pods but then you've got like circuitry you've got metals you've got um you've got uh, single-use plastics again you know things that don't break down um and there's not really a prescribed way of getting rid of them there's not really like a mechanism for recycling or, or breaking these down. Um, a lot of people are, uh, you know, they're not unsure of what to do with them. So they'll end up just tossing them in the garbage. But when you think about it, there's batteries in there as well, lithium ion batteries, which most of us know that you're not just supposed to throw batteries away. Yeah. And there's hazardous waste uh, facilities that handle that kind of material. But like no one's ever told to throw away their vapes in that way. So they either go in the garbage or you end up, and I'm sure you guys have seen this in your, in your communities, like pods littered all over the ground. You know, you get point where you recognize what they look like and it's not just one brand but a lot of different ones um so yeah and it's not just the litter itself and it's just not the actual like accumulation of the of the trash but how it impacts uh like wildlife the chemicals in the pods are toxic 
they leach into the groundwater, they leach into the soil, and then animals actually ingest them and it disrupts the, the way that their bodies function. The microplastics don't break down. They're just little shards of plastic all over the place that don't decompose. And then you've got um, the metal components and the, the heavy metals themselves that also leach into the soil um, and can cause like disruptions in like the way that cells function in, in, in organisms. So it's, it's a number of different things. It's not just like the fact that there's trash on the ground. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And it's what this really makes me think of. It kind of just like, like I said earlier, it just really just breaks my heart that there's so much trash everywhere. And it's like, no matter how many cleanups you do, how many beach cleanups, neighborhood cleanups you do, there will still be more cigarette butts literally everywhere. And now there's like also vapes and stuff. A lot of young people, at least I think, feel a lot of hopelessness, right? Mark, have you ever felt any sort of like, I don't know, just feelings of sadness because there's so much trash everywhere and there's nothing you can really do about it. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, at my school, we uh, clubs hold park cleanups. And so like <laughs> every week we would go clean up the park and then you do sort of feel hopeless because you do this every week and then the same thing Never comes ends. again. Yeah, it's, it's an endless cycle. Yeah. So I don't know, what can we do about this? What, I, I, it kind of feels like the issue is on young people. I think young yeah. people think about this more than any other generation, right? Like, I, I think the older generations aren't maybe as focused on this and as like the younger generations, because we know this is going to affect us for like a, a long time to come. So like, Lauren, do you have anything to say about that? Like, what, what's the issue here and what are we doing about it? Yeah. Well, what you're explaining earlier about like going to the park, Mark, every other week or however often, and then the trash just keeps coming. There's an analogy that they share quite a bit for beach cleanups or just cleanups in general. And they say, if your bathtub was on, if your bathtub faucet was on and it was overflowing and your bathroom is flooding and there's water everywhere, would you grab a spoon to start emptying the bathtub or would you turn off the tap? Like, mm -hmm. of course, you would just turn off the faucet. Like, if the intention is to stop the flooding, you would turn off the tap. But our approach from this, sometimes it's like, okay, we're going to clean it up with a spoon, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm a member of the Surfrider Foundation, and we do a ton with plastic pollution and beach cleanups, and it's a great way to engage with the community. Like, someone who doesn't know anything about the climate crisis or the global waste crisis can come to the beach or come to a park or come somewhere and clean up, right? And then you get to start talking to them. It's a great way to start the conversation. And we get to share this analogy with them. And, you're, and what I learned at our Surfrider Summit like a year ago was our 35 years of the Surfrider Foundation cleaning up the beach all across the country, like every week or every so often, equals eight hours of pollution. 35, that's, that's how bad it is. You're like 35 years of hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people cleaning up the beach over 35 years. That's how much trash there is. And so like, oh, oh, this isn't a cleanup solution. Like there is no way, we just have to turn it off. So you're mm -hmm. like, well, what, what do you do? And when you talk about the enemy earlier, Gael, it's like the enemy is the plastic manufacturer. Like people who make plastics know how detrimental it is. They are well aware. People who make oil know well aware what the impact is. And so, and they have billions of dollars that they could invest in research and development on a marine degradable plastic, on a plastic alternative, on a renewable energy, something instead. They have all the money in the world to do that. It would just cost them. It would cost them money and it would yeah. be a risk. And uh, 
that's that's where we're at is just you know the the fact that not enough people are calling them out on it and making it public using their platforms like this one um gives them uh, a free pass to keep doing things the way they've been doing it so i mean clearly it's kind of like a really big problem and a lot of teams are feeling pretty hopeless about what we can even do about this um so i guess what is something that we can do about it um if the demand goes down then they have less of a product to put out there mm-hmm. to pollute the environment yeah just being really conscious of the things that you're buying um getting the information we live in an age where it takes you five minutes to really look up all the data on anything like we have access to that kind of stuff more so than we ever did before it's instantaneous like literally everybody's got google on their phones or whatever browser you choose to use um but uh it takes it takes less than five minutes to really become an informed person and like i said before the the information's out there we've already kind of compiled it all for you and we've done the due diligence we've done the research to figure out like what's fact and what's fiction um but it's up to to you and to other other kids like you to read it, understand it, and internalize it, and then figure out, make your own choices based on that. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of awareness. That's really interesting. And it's actually a good point that we're the first generation to have access to all these resources and the ability to, to do so much and spread so much awareness. And mm-hmm. Lord, I want to ask you this, is that do you think that that is causing um, a lot of older generation to place a lot of focus on Gen C and like a lot of the responsibility towards them and be like, hey, you have access to all this, so now you need to use it, even though mm. problems weren't necessarily caused by Gen Z. Mm. That's a good one. Well, what you said earlier about the role in a teenager, like let's say a teenager isn't even isn't 18 yet and can't mm-hmm. vote, because I would say the first most important thing you can do is vote, like from your city council to your mayor, to your state representative, to the president, right? Like everyone talks about the presidential elections, but there are so many that are so much more important leading up to that in between that. Um, but Gina McCarthy, she's the new like head of climate for the white house. And she was on a podcast. I heard her speak and she talked about giving out climate awards, like down in the grassroots, down to the Mm. grassroots level and talked about a 10 year old who literally went door to door and said, can you sign this petition? If I get X amount of signatures, my elementary school is going to get a solar panel. And he went and did it. And he just like, it was 10 years old, but believed in what solar power solar panel was going to do for his school and believed in mm-hmm. renewable energy and wanted to get his school off of fossil fuels to for electricity. And so it's like, no one is too small to make a difference. I think that's even the title of Greta Thunberg's book. Yeah. No one is too small. Like, look what she did. She stopped yeah. going to school on Fridays and started a global movement, you know, and she couldn't vote. And she's always saying in her speeches too, like, I'm not here to talk about politics because if it were up to politics, we would have had a solution. And she's speaking at the, U- the United Nations, you know? Yeah. But when talking about like older generations dismissing responsibility and putting mm-hmm. it on the younger generations, I think how that shows up is kind of like sneaky. And when we <laughs> talk to older generations, and I've even said this before myself, it's like, oh, the younger generation is what's giving me hope. Like, I'm so proud of Gen Z and how active they are and how intelligent they are and what they're doing. And some kids are choosing not, not even to go to college because they're just going to work right after going to high school, right after high school, or they're creating their own businesses and creating their movements. Like, I'm so proud of Gen Z. But sometimes when we say that, it's dismissing the responsibility of the climate crisis onto the next generation because mm-hmm. the, older, the older generations won't see the worst of it. And so what I will start saying to these folks now, including like my peers, is if you're going to put that much hope in Gen Z, then give them your seat. 
or like give them your job yeah. or give them, give them your power or your fund or whatever you have. If you have that much hope in them, then like surrender <laughs> your power because what you're doing isn't working. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Actually, I totally agree with that. Uh, yeah. I had never even thought about like the impact of kind of just handing it down in a very sneaky way, but totally makes sense. So it makes so much sense. I think we are so we are so much more powerful than we think. And I guess if there was one tip I would give, it's to harness your power and realize how powerful you are. And it doesn't have to look like protesting every weekend, and it doesn't have to look like like burning yourself out to be this activist, but also like tapping into your communities and talking about things. And I think combating a lot of the symptoms of eco-anxiety too, of feeling overwhelmed, of feeling like I can't make a difference, of feeling unqualified. It's like plug into your community, talk to your family and friends, realize why this matters to you um, and lean into those things, but also harnessing your power because the very people who want you to believe that you're not big enough or you're not qualified enough or powerful enough are, are the big polluters, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny because I feel like, uh, you know, these big polluter companies are, you know, big tobacco and big vape, they are causing a lot of these issues, you know, they're the ones providing the product and the product is so terrible and they're promoting it, but they're also, you know, putting out campaigns about, oh, let's help clean up the environment. Let's help like the environment. Let's do all of this. And it's clearly like, it's all, they're the ones causing it. So it's like a whole, you know, that just makes it even worse of a support. There's a film called The Story of Plastic. I highly recommend it. And at the end, it talks about the, because plastic comes from oil and gas, right? Petrochemicals are extracted from petroleum, from oil and gas. And it talks about all these big oil and gas companies know that they're under threat right now as more and more cars are becoming electric and there's going to be a a lower demand for oil or gas. And so it talks about how they're pumping all their money in plastics now because they know that their business is going to be hit by oil or lack of gas. And they were like, all the big petrochemical companies are saying, this is how much money we're spending on cleanups. Like the very, the manufacturers, right? This is how much money we're spending on cleanups. And it's not a manufacturing problem. It's an infrastructure recycling problem, right? Again, like dismissing responsibility. And it showed like a drop in the bucket of how much they're spending on cleanups compared to how much they're spending on manufacturing the material. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, this doesn't match. (laughs) This doesn't make sense. No. So imagine you're at the beach and you're picking up all these plastic water bottles and you just see all these plastic water bottles everywhere. You're like, wait, is this on us to clean these up or should the plastic water bottle just be made from something else? Mm. So if it ended up here, it's not going to harm people while it's being manufactured and it's not going to harm ecosystems if it's littered. Like what if it was just made from something else? You know, like, wait, 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 this isn't an individual cleanup responsibility. This is a manufacturing responsibility, right? And Bosma, it probably shows up the same when we talk about cigarettes and vape pens too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, that's like a mind-blowing concept. Like, let's create something that doesn't end up as litter and then just solve the problem from, like, the origin, from the source, right? So, yeah, there's the concept of uh, of extended producer responsibility. It's kind of like a a jargony term that refers to uh, the fact that the manufacturers of like big tobacco, big vape, big plastic, they don't always have a uh, end game in mind for the end of life of a product. Um, same thing with e-cigarettes, same thing with cigarettes um, and any other 
manufactured products such as you know plastic products there should be a responsibility on the part of the manufacturer to figure out how to deal with the trash that is created from their products and a lot of times um and the argument that i've seen written is that these organizations these companies feel like once the consumer like once we've purchased it like they've transferred the responsibility to whoever like it's on you now because you paid for it it's in your hands so if we put pressure on them hopefully that'll kind of change the tides uh to make that a more commonplace kind of occurrence you know like making bottles that are eco-friendly that's possible to do and it's pretty wild that the people that are creating this problem is sort of masking it yeah it makes me think of how we use a product, right? Like you go to Trader Joe's and you buy a bag of groceries and you go home, you use your groceries and then you have trash. You have like the plastic bags, the carton, like the box. And you have to pay for the trash man, trash person to come pick up your trash, right? So extended producer responsibility is like no plastic manufacturer, no Trader Joe's. Like this is your trash, you can have it back. Like this yeah. is your product, you can have it back. So the same thing of like the life cycle of, a water bottle, like no arrowhead, no crystal geyser, whatever. Like you can have this back as part of the life cycle. And I don't know what this totally looks like when we talk about packaging, but like how mm -hmm. we talk about this with emissions is like a carbon tax. If you're like no oil and gas company, you're only paying for the manufacturing of this product, but not the, the byproduct of the emissions in the air. So like you have to pay for that too. Right. And like a carbon tax is what that looks like. So just taking responsibility for their, the, the, the byproduct, the waste. Mm -hmm. right. It's good that we're finally, you know, speaking up about this and doing something about it. Cause it's not just like littering. It's like consumerism and, you know, manufacturers yeah. and doing all of that. So it, it's good that at least teenagers, you know, if you don't have a platform, one thing you could do is stop submitting to like consumerism culture and stop, you know, buying mm -hmm. stuff. And like stop buying vapes and stuff like that's not even good for you in the first place and it's hurting the environment so there's just like one thing that literally helps you if you stop doing so it's just things like that that help the environment in a small way but when everyone does it it's cumulative you know it like really adds up absolutely and so before we wrap up as you know you uh, have something kind of cool for all the students yeah thanks um i just wanted to put in a little plug um, we just, uh, at Truth, just put up a uh, brand new scholarship. It's called the Impact Scholarship. Um, we're giving away $3,000, uh, $3,000 awards for young leaders who are um, taking action in the environment, uh, social justice, and mental health, all those different spaces, um, advocating for change. And what we're asking for uh, entrance is fill out the application that we've got on our website um, at thetruth.com slash take action. So look up impact scholarship. Um, the deadline is August 30th. So get it in soon. It's a short video, maybe like three to five minutes. And we just ask you to talk about who you are, why you feel like you deserve this scholarship and maybe a little bit about the work that you've been doing. So um, it's an awesome opportunity and we just launched it in, uh, in June. For sure. So thank you, Basma Lauren for being here. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I hope that all your listeners know how truly powerful they are. And, you know, these systems want us to believe that we can't make a difference or that you're too young or that you have to be educated or qualified in certain capacities. And it's just not true. And like I said mm -hmm. earlier, if you have a story, we are all being impacted by the climate crisis in some way, shape or form. And your story is really what matters most. So share your story, tell your story, plug into your community. You got it.
Very true. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. Hopefully you learned a lot. And uh, yeah, like we said, go to thetruth.com slash take action. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you once again, Lauren and Pazma, for talking with us today. Please visit thetruth.com slash take action to add your voice to the fight for environmental service organizations to reject tobacco and evade funding. And Truth will use the power of our collective voices to urge organizations to reject funding and continue to put pressure on waste producers to uh, clean up their mess because after all, that is what it takes. And while you're on Truth's website, you can also get a free cleanup kit to clean up waste wherever you are. All it takes is to try. So thank you, Bosman and Lauren, for being here. Thank you so much. Bye.